0: That's not my father. It's just my reflection. No. Look hard. You see? He lives in you. As a kid, and maybe some of you in this place as well, that you go to the movies, they always had a cartoon first. So, Joe Mantello would like for me to do that with every message, but I don't know if I'll be able to pull it off. Joe, he's he, he's big into animation. <laughs> the whole point of that of that clip, in a sense, that 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 I wanted to present in that is that Mufasa was trying to tell Simba who, who he was and, and not to forget it. I, I think every time we get together to worship and present God's Word, that's, that's, that's what he's doing. <laughs> it's a great analogy. We think about a lion as strong and powerful and aggressive, if you will, and uh, Jesus is the, the lion of the tribe of Judah. In my experience as a as a believer, I, I need to be reminded often of who I am. And I think that, it, I think that goes for all of us. God's Word does that for me, uh, as well as prayer and hanging out with other followers of Christ, of like-minded people. And the Holy Spirit does it, and worship does it, and preaching does it as well. Th- that was Paul's problem with the Corinthians, Somehow they had gotten amnesia. They had forgotten who they were in Christ. And as we walk this earth, for a lot of us, we want that to be our life, our life direction. What draws us, what leads us is what, who we are in Christ. But I think that gets muddled and mixed up with other things in the world. And sometimes it's hard for us to really know who we are, actually. Paul had spent 18 months with them set down the perimeters. If you want to live a life that's pleasing to God, if you want God's blessings in your life, this is the way that you need to live. And, and that's what He says to us today, but many of us do not <laughs> We don't follow God's path, so to speak. We, we want to m- mix it up a little bit. We want our path to coincide with God's and kind of one foot in each and… We can live like that, but it it sure doesn't please God and we do not get His blessings and it causes sometimes a lot of duress and grief and anxiety, actually. So in chapter 6, Paul brings up a couple of areas. The Bible was given us for a guide to live. And God says, if you want the best life possible for you, you live by this. And if you don't, you, you, you... You kind of suffer the consequences to a degree. So he gives us these issues to avoid and not to be like. Because in life, what had happened, the Corinthians had went back and was was living the old life that they had just left. A lot of them were. I I thought this was interesting. He mentions these two things kind of in the same passage. Step one, step two, things to avoid. The first one is this, lawsuits with other believers in the church. They evidently was getting in hassles and fights, and they were suing each other within the context of the body of Christ. And then second, he brings it up again. He brings up sexual sin. It's, it, he, he mentions it again. He keeps bringing it up, so to speak, because it was such an issue there. And I do believe in our world today that it's an issue here that we have to address as followers of Christ. And at least you might not follow God's Word, but at least we need to know what it says, We can't use it for hearsay or whatever. we got to say, well, God says this. So let's look at these verses, 1 Corinthians 6, 1 through 11. When you have something against another Christian, why do you file a lawsuit and ask a secular court to settle the matter, decide the matter, instead of taking it to other Christians to decide who is right? Don't you know that someday we Christians are going to judge the world? And since you're going to judge the world, can't you decide these little things among yourselves? Don't you realize that we Christians will judge angels? So you should, you should surely be able to resolve ordinary disagreements here on earth. If you have legal disputes about such matters, why do you go outside, go to outside judges who are not respected by the church? I am saying this to shame you. You know, he's not, <laughs> he didn't pull any punches here. Right? He said, I'm saying this to make you shame." Isn't there anyone in your church who is wise enough to decide these arguments, but instead... One Christian sues another right in front of unbelievers. To have such lawsuits at all is a real defeat for you. Why not just accept the injustice and leave it at that? Why not let yourself be cheated? But instead you yourselves are the ones who do wrong and cheat even your own Christian brothers and sisters. And again, starting with verse 9, don't you know that those who do wrong will have no share in the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin, who are auto worshipers, adulterers, male prostitutes, homosexuals, thieves, greedy people, drunkards, abusers, swindlers, none of these will have a share in the kingdom of God. There was a time when some of you were just like that. But now your sins have been washed away, and you have been set apart for God. You have been made right with God because of what the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of God have done for you. He's saying that believers shouldn't sue each other. When you've got a dispute in legal matters, take it within the context of the body of Christ and try to settle it there. Now, I agree that there are some cases that have to be handled in legal courts, but disputes between believers should be handled within the context of the church. The Scripture is saying that followers of Christ should not have to file a lawsuit and ask a secular court to resolve differences among them. Why? Three reasons. One, If the judge and jury were not Christians, they would not be likely to be sensitive to Christian values. Two, the basis for going to court is often revenge. This should never be a Christian's motive. And three, lawsuits make the church look bad, causing unbelievers to focus on church problems rather than on its purpose. It's about the witness, remembering who we are and how we act in this world, you see. Paul is saying, remember that. Because of all that Christians have been given and because of the authority that we will have in the future to judge the world and angels, we should be able to sit down and discuss things and handle disputes in-house, so to speak. But you think about the prospect of spending eternity with folks that we haven't learned to get along with here on earth. That's kind of absurd to me. And it's those at you that I get under your skin maybe and drive you a little crazy. Today, you can go to your house, you can lock the doors and pull the shades down, and you won't have to see Eddie. In heaven, I'll be able to walk through your wall, so just put, wrap your mind around that. <laughs> You're not going to be able to get away from me, so that might make you think about that a little bit. But nonetheless, that's, that's what he's saying here, that we should be able to, to handle problems here because we're going to be together forever. Jesus said, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another." John thirteen thirty five. I think that's interesting. The world will not know us if God had granted these great miraculous powers to us that I could bring people back from the dead or call down fire from heaven. And even if I could do that, the world's not going to remember me for that. The world's going to remember you and I by how much we loved each other. That it, that it rose above everything else, that even with all of our scars, our warts, our habits, and the things that we do to drive each other and drive God crazy, that we can put those to the side and, and still love each other as brothers and sisters. So that's the first thing you mentioned. You shouldn't handle disagreements in court if you can help it, do it within the context of the body. And then secondly, we should avoid all sexual sin. Paul is reminding them who they were in Christ, and he's reminding them where they came from and who they are today in Christ and what they stand for and in their world and in their spheres of influence. Don't you know that those who do wrong will have no share in the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Paul puts all these sins on the same plane. They're all the same. We have a tendency sometimes to raise one sin above the other. We're infamous for that, that we could be doing five or six of these things and one other person is doing the other and we're all pointing fingers out. That's not what he intended here. Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin, who are idol worshipers, adulterers, male prostitutes, homosexuals, thieves, greedy people... Drunkards and abusers and swindlers, none of them will have a share in the kingdom of God. And then Paul takes them back. There was a time when some of you were just like that. You were doing these things. That was your lifestyle. But now your sins have been washed away, and you have been set, right, set apart for God. You have been right, made right with God because of what the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of our God have done in you. In these verses, Paul gives a strong proclamation about those who will not inherit. He's saying that Christians should not call themselves followers of Jesus and allow any kinds of this evil to permeate their lives by saying that none of these people will inherit the kingdom of God. He was referring to people that come into the kingdom and don't change. They bring this sin in, and sometimes it takes us a while to work through it, but he's saying that these people have brought this into the church, and they have no remorse, none whatsoever, and they have dug in and said, I don't care, God. That I really don't care what you say. I'm going to do what I want, and we'll let the cards fall where they may, and that's what we do with people, your choice. You live like you want, but I can't guarantee your future. And it, it, according to God, it's not going to be a, a blessed future. It's not going to be a good, but it's your choice. See, that's, that's where we come into the kingdom, and we are 100% free moral agents. You can do exactly what you want when you want. That is on you. But the consequences that ensue from that is on us as far as how God says that, that we should live. This applies to us today. Jesus is saying, remember who you are in me. If you are mine, obey me, model me, reflect me. If you're not, I invite you to come to me, all that are heavy laden with sin, and I will give you rest. I will give you forgiveness. I will give you hope. I will give you a purpose and future in life. It's interesting here that Paul mentions male prostitutes to the Corinthians because they knew exactly what these persons did. In the, Apollo, in the temple of Apollo, there were male prostitutes that their main function in life, whether men or women come in, it was their function as a temple prostitute to bring them pleasure. And evidently, there were still people from the Corinthian church that was going to hang out there. And that's, and that's why Paul mentioned that. Paul wrote about... Homosexual offenders will not inherit the kingdom of God. There's a lot of different opinions in our world today regarding homosexuality. Some believe that they can be Christian homosexuals. Some believe that homosexuality is an inborn trait, just like a person is born white or black. Some believe that homosexual is just merely an alternative lifestyle. That's what people believe, and that is up to them, and that is their prerogative to believe that. I'm not concerned about what people believe. I'm concerned about what what God says. Again, God's word is truth, and God's word is not always something that we want to hear. God's word is not always something that we want to obey. That's why a lot of us are scarred we are scarred in life because we have sinned and done things that have left these marks upon our hearts on our minds on our bodies even we'll never we'll never get beyond that we bear those marks within our body <laughs> that's why in my love for you that i preach this word so you will pay heed to it and it'll be better for you in life that maybe you might escape some of these scars that we have been down the road a lot farther have made. You know, there's an old cliche that says, you've made that bed and you've got to sleep in it. And I'll tell you what, my friends, there's a lot of us in this room this morning still sleeping in that bed, those scars that we created with relationships, with our children. And I can go on and on and on, but I'm, I'm not going to go down that road. I'm just trying to, to make that point. Jesus' death on the cross paid for the sin of homosexuality, just as he paid for the sins of lying, of greed, of lust, of hatred, and pride, and prejudice. It has been said that the church is a hospital for sinners and not a showcase for saints. Because a lot of our trophy cases aren't that great, to be honest with you. It is a place where those that are caught... And homosexual behavior can be freed and forgiven. It is a place where believers who have committed the sins of hatred and prejudice and self-righteousness toward homosexuals need to go and ask the Lord for forgiveness and for healing. We're all sinners and we stand guilty before God. So rather than spreading hatred, spread the word that there's hope for sinners of all kinds through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He is the one who sets people free regardless of our sins. And as your pastor, as your brother this morning, I cannot stand before you and say that I live a perfect life. I could have my wife <laughs> come up and, and tell you how I live sometimes. I'm, With all that's within me, I'm trying to do what God wants me to do. We fall off the wagon, say some things and do some things that God grips our heart. (laughs) We go down on a knee, and as Sonny said, and we confess that sin, and it's gone. It's gone. He didn't hold that against me, and I praise God for that, but hopefully it gets less and less and less and i i've never really met anybody that's achieved perfection in this life and i always question the ones that say they have you know if we'd follow them around a while they'd know that there was like some of us that they slip up every once in a while peter or paul stressed that there is no kind of sin that cannot be forgiven and this he brings back up again. Here is the list and the, the process that he uses to get them to remember who they are and where they've come from. It's same with us. When the Corinthians received Jesus Christ, they were washed. He brings that up. This refers to the cleansing process that had been washed away their sins through the blood of Christ. Hebrews 10:22, Revelation 7:14. Now, they were clean before God, washed completely white through the blood of Christ because they asked God to forgive them, asked Christ to forgive them and come into their heart. And then the Scripture says they were sanctified, meaning that God had set them apart. John 17, 17, 1 Corinthians 1, 2, 1 Thessalonians 4, 3, and chapter 5, verse 23. So they were cleansed, they were set apart, and they were justified, meaning that God had declared these believers completely righteous. In his sight. Now we all know that a holy God cannot look upon sin, a sinful individual. But because we are covered with the blood of Christ and our sins are gone, he, God sees us as righteous. And that, that's what he meant by being justified. And believers are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. The name refers to the character and nature of the one who justifies. He was perfect and sinless. Because we have been washed, because we have been sanctified, set apart, and because we have been justified, we wear that name in pride and honor because of Him, and that's how God sees us. The phrase, Spirit of our God, reminded believers that in the Holy Spirit, He's the one that draws people to God and fills them when they believe 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says, We were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jew or Greek, slave or free, and we are given the one spirit to drink. So he's talking about the Trinity. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit here is taking part in the transforming of our lives to become more obedient to God. We realize that when these words were written, it was a different time and a different world. Eons ago, millennia ago, but the thing about the Word of God, that it stays relevant through the ages. And that Word and those words of Paul are just as relevant today on December 2nd, 2018, than they were in this day. Paul was saying to these believers that were soft and tolerant of sin. He said, you guys have been washed by the Word and set apart by God and declared Righteous. You need to act like it. And it's the thing that, that we do when we, we see each other out in life and love each other and try to help each other along the way. But sometimes, in all honesty, we as followers of Christ, it's hard, to, it's hard to determine where Christianity stops and we live more like the world There's no set demarcation point to to judge that by. And we in America, I can say this a million times, uh, I don't know if we understand how spoiled we are compared to the rest of the world. And even the context of the church, we we want to be coddled sometimes. We want to be babied. We want to be burped. And that's what Paul was talking about maturing. But that's just the way we are and sometimes when we're challenged by the Word of God, we don't like it because it hurts us, because it, it means that we have to change. But the business of the church is not to coddle the saints, but to challenge them to win others for Christ. Remember who you are, Paul said. Paul called the Corinthians carnal, if you remember, in past matches as being of the world. And the part of the the sadness of carnality that that it causes us to go back and live like we did in the past, and we have fights, and we do things that we shouldn't. And Paul said, don't you guys get it? You're not average anymore. I've called you to a higher standard. And in the future, he said, you'll one day judge the world and the angels. Our judgments, the Bema Seat of the Judgment Seat of Christ, there is one day when the world will be judged And all people will be judged that you and I will be in that gallery, so to speak. And evidently, we're going to be in the jury box. We're going to help God Almighty judge people in the world that have rejected Christ. That isn't that we can't wrap our minds around that. But that's what Paul was trying to tell them. Don't you know who you are? So it comes down to this. We're not talking about the Corinthians now. We're talking about us. Do you know who you are this morning in Christ? Do you know that 100%? Have you gotten in the boat with Christ? Have you ever made that commitment? Do you know for sure that you're washed by the blood of Christ and have been set apart by God and sanctified, that you're justified and made right in God's sight? If so, the question comes down, all the weight is on this. Are you living it? We can know the Bible from front to back. We can quote Scripture, but it comes down to application. Are you living it? That is, and that's what the world wants to see, and that's what God wants to see in our lives. Maybe you've never committed your life to Christ. We always invite you to come. You just do it right where you said but nonetheless, you need to do it. We say this a lot, Lord, that it is a profound truth that... You are the only hope for this world, and we as your kids, you have us in this world to be bearers of that light and of that truth. May that really define us here this morning. Thanks again for these folks. Lord, I love them with all my heart and lift them up to you. Help us to be obedient, for we ask these things in the name of Christ. Amen.